am love. I 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 am love. Love. Amor. What is the source of love? God is. And he calls us to love the orphan like he first loved us. God's deep love for each of us is why we love the orphan. Not all children have the love of a family. But you can be loved to a child. Through foster care or adoption or supporting orphans around the world. We love because he first loved us. Because he first loved us. Because he first loves us. Because he first loved us. Loving an orphan means giving and receiving God's love. And that makes me happy. And it makes me happy. <laughs> On Orphan Sunday, you can share God's love with the child who needs you. Every child should know God's love. Through you, they can. Welcome, Welcome to Orphan, Orphan Sunday. Sunday. Um, we are in the midst of a series called Story where we're looking at the plot line of the Bible and we are pausing this series to celebrate, to participate, to remind ourselves of this important day. I'll call it important because churches like us, religious organizations and organizations across the world literally are doing the same thing that we are doing from a local level, uh, causing attention, bringing ourselves to remind ourselves that there are people in the world who are the least of these, who are the fatherless, who are orphans, okay? And so today is called Orphan Sunday, and uh, it's an important day because orphans are important. They are important in the, the eyes of God. Um, you know, Christians have a, a, a special call to um, care for those who others may not care about. Uh, James 1.27 says this, that religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That word, visit orphans and widows, really means to care for them. Now today, I'm, I'm not going to twist your... In fact, actually, I'm not even preaching, so... But I'm not trying to twist your arm and get you to, to do something that you're not called to do quite yet. We're not trying to get you to, to really do anything. We are standing up for orphans today uh, more than anything. But more than that, uh, oftentimes we need to remind ourselves of the plight of other people in the world that don't live quite like us. 
Actually, we need to remind ourselves there's people right in our midst, in our own city, that don't have fathers and mothers and grow up without um, the privilege of, uh, you know, a consistent home with consistent people that they see and are loved by every single day. You know, there are 153 million orphans in the world. And so if we lined up all the orphaned children in the whole world around the equator, there would not be room for them to stand side by side going all the way around the world. And that really is the, the depth of this problem today. And so um, what I want you to do is, is don't put your guard up today. Don't uh, see us as trying to force you to think about something or do something that you know, it's not in you to do. Um, really, I would tell you the 153 um, million orphans that are in the world, they don't really need you to adopt them. Uh, there's more that we can do as a people, as the people of God, um, to care for orphans in our day than just simply adopting them or even foster care. If you think about it, um, orphaned children are the ones that more than likely are sex trafficked and trafficked around the world. In fact, if this is, this is a, just a, a sad statistic. Uh, the, the people, the, the orphans that are adopted nowadays from around the world, a lot of those kids are trafficked. Uh, they're, they're abducted from their families and then sold into the trafficking um, system and then adopted for money from other people who, um, for whatever reason, can't have kids and, and want to, to adopt. Uh, there's the issue of uh, trafficking, there's the issue of slavery, there's the issue of racism, there's the issue of poverty, and there's the issue of, obviously, foster care and adoption, that we can come alongside those who uh, are orphans. And so uh, that brings us to uh, our special guest speaker today. Actually, he's special, but he's not really a guest because he's one of us. Uh, Chaplain Captain John Scott is sitting right over there, and he sits right over there with his family, you know, for the last couple months that they've been with us. John entered the military um, in 1997 uh, as, a cap- as a lieutenant, and he has served from everything from a scout platoon leader all the way up to a troop and a headquarters company commander. About 10 years, um, well, about 2006, he went into the civil affairs and uh, sort of turned the corner from his, uh, uh, his life as an armor officer, and then he was called to ministry. And so he took a hiatus, went to Liberty Seminary, uh, also served as an associate pastor at Grace Church Newport News, which is a sister church of ours. And, uh, and from that, uh, he became a chaplain in the United States Army. And so he currently serves as a cemetery chaplain at Arlington Cemetery. Uh, you know what he does? He buries people. There's people dying all over the, all over the country. And he gets to bury uh, some of the veterans and, and their spouses uh, over in Arlington. So that's a, a pretty noble duty that he has. Uh, he's married to Gwen. They have three kids, Malik, uh, sorry, Johnny, who's 17, or she 18. Johnny, who's almost, she still says almost 18? Yeah. So Johnny was playing bass up here. Malik, who's 16, just turned 16, and Kara, who's 12. Um, So let's give a warm transit welcome to John, to Chaplain Captain John Scott. He's got a great testimony, and uh, you'll see why he's talking on Orphan Sender in a minute. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? All right. Well, it is it is good to be here and definitely a privilege to be able to address everyone this morning. This will be kind of a sermon, 
kind of a testimony, and then, uh, then the real treat, my wife is going to come up and talk for a little while. Uh, so before I get started, would you please join me in prayer? God, thank you that we can gather here this morning in your name. Father, we ask that you would speak to each one of us as we talk about a topic that's near and dear to your heart. And Father, thank you that you took consideration of us and our trouble and extended a hand. So, Father, we just ask you to, to bless our time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So like Jeff was saying, Orphan Sunday, really just an awareness of the orphans uh, around the world and those that are, are right here in our backyards. And also, like he said, not here to try to twist your arm and have everybody run out and, and adopt a kid before you go to lunch this afternoon. Um, you know, it's, it, it's really not about that. So what we really want to accomplish is just sharing something that is a part of God's heart. And Orphan Sunday is, is a way to make that bridge. So a lot of sermons start with an illustration. So I want to start this morning uh, sharing a young boy's story. Uh, his name is Jamal Elias Burden, and he's from my home state, the great state of Ohio. All right. Now, as, as the story was relayed to me, um, he was abandoned when he was about a year and a half old, uh, left in a residence and somehow was found and taken to a local hospital. I'm not really sure how all of that went down. Um, but at this hospital, there was a nurse named Inez, who I think the system was a little bit different back then. It was in the 70s. They didn't have all the same paperwork and all that stuff that they have now, at least not right up front. And Inez ended up taking this year and a half old boy home to her son and his wife so that they could care for, for Jamal. And eventually, he became a ward of the state of Ohio, placed into foster care. Um, and then Inez's son and uh, her daughter-in-law ended up taking care of Jamal off and on for about the next three and a half years as he bounced between their home and then the home of some of his biological mother's relatives or, you know, whoever. I'm not exactly sure who they all were. But this was, he's bouncing around while Ohio's trying to find a, a permanent placement for Jamal. So the story starts off somewhat sad, but it's also, it's not unique. But we'll leave that where it's at, and we'll come back to that later. Now, we're all aware of foster care and adoption and the, the children that are fatherless around the world. So each of us has somewhat of an awareness of it. And some of us give to organizations like Compassion, and we sponsor a child. Some of us know friends or family who have adopted. Some of us may have even been adopted or have adopted kids ourselves. So we all look at this story, and we have a, uh, a different perspective, a different angle that all of us come at it. But wherever our experience falls, the Bible tells us, that along this continuum of foster care and adoption and all these different things, that we all have a common story. We think everything's different, but we all have a common story. The Bible tells us that we all need to be adopted. All of us. All of us are born with a need to be adopted. So if you would, turn in your Bibles or your smartphones or your buddy's smartphone to uh, Galatians 
chapter 4, starting in verse 3. Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 3. If you're an AT&T customer, you might not have service in here. I know that because I am. All right. So if not, if you don't have service, there are some Bibles under the, under the chairs. If you need one, just have somebody pass one in from the middle of the row. All right, so Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 3. It says, in the same way, we also, this is Paul talking, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Because of the fall, which Jeff talked about last week, we're all born spiritually fatherless. We're all born spiritually fatherless, separated from God and slaves to sin, to death and to Satan. So that's where that common bond comes in, is that we all need to be adopted in order to have a spiritual father. Also, if you look in Romans and you don't have to turn there, but Romans chapter five, verses 12 through 14 kind of explains that a little further. Therefore, Just as sin came in the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but it was not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. So again, by that fall, by that entrance of sin into the human race, then then all were born in that state of slavery. They're reminding us that death ruled, death ruled prior. But God, by his grace, made a way for us to be redeemed and then adopted as his sons and daughters. If you look back at the verse there in Galatians, it says that Jesus redeemed us. In other words, he paid the penalty for that sin. He he bought and cleared that debt that we owed. And a lot of times that's easy for us to come. We we come to that conclusion. You know, that's what we're taught. Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. But this verse takes it a step further because we all know we can pay for things with no emotional attachment. We can just you know, we can go in, we can pay for things or even even if we free a person, you can free a person and then just kind of let them go off on their own way. But. Jesus made that redemption. He paid that debt for a reason so that God can adopt us. We were redeemed in order to enter into God's family. The Greek word there, weothesia, is what stands is is adoption. It's translated adoption. And it means placed in a position and rights as one's own child. So God, the creator of the universe, paid that penalty through his son in order that he could bestow upon us the rights of his own child. We are legally adopted and we're given the privileges and the responsibilities of the natural born son. 
And this is what John is talking about in his gospel in the first chapter, starting in verse 12. He says, but to all who, who did receive him, talking about Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh or of man, but of God. That adoption is is equivalent to the rebirth. We go from a state of being spiritually fatherless to being fathered by God and having those rights and privileges bestowed on us. We're set free from death and sin and Satan. Aaron Hartman, the author of a book called Adoption, God's Plan A, lists six privileges that we receive when we're adopted as God's children. The very first one is we receive the Holy Spirit. Now, we know that that's one that we're familiar with. We're saved by grace through faith. And then God, we have that rebirth in the spirit. We're filled with the spirit. And then we continue that process of sanctification as we go on with our lives. The second one is we are delivered from fear. We're delivered from the fear of death by the promise of eternal life. We're delivered from the fear of not having a purpose because now our purposes can line up with God's purposes. Third, we are heirs with Christ in glory and suffering. Now, that verse there in in Mark chapter 10, verse 30, is the one that talks about uh, all those who give up homes and brothers and sisters will have these things multiplied back to them with houses. And then it has this little along with suffering that we like to skip over and in the time to come eternal life. So we get to share in Christ's glory. We get to also take on the struggles that he takes on and fight against those evils that he fights against. And we receive discipline from God there in Hebrews twelve six, It talks about how God disciplines the son that he loves. We get his discipline. We get his direction uh, of which way we should go. We get correction. We can call him Abba, Father. In other words, we can have that relationship with God on a personal, intimate level. We don't have to look at him as someone who uh, is only demanding of us, but he's also a father who wants to, to grow us and care for us and provide for us. And then finally, we have the confidence that God accepts our service, that as we live our lives as that living sacrifice in worship to God, that God accepts that. His word says that he does. His word says that as we as we come close to him, he comes near to us. So our adoption is clearly an upgrade on our spiritual condition. We're not the same. We're cared for. We're being nurtured. And we also realize that God not only pays and then adopts us, but it's at an extreme cost. It's at an extreme cost to the creator of everything, to the one that in the book of Job says, who, who do I owe? You know, who, who does God owe something to that he should repay? He doesn't owe us anything. But out of love, he adopts us at the expense of his only begotten son. And once we let that truth sink in, that not only has God set us free, but he has also come near us at expense to himself for, for nothing other than to, to show us love to his own glory. Once that sinks into to our hearts, it can change our life.
and now the moment that everybody is here for. I would like to ask Gwen to come up and share a little bit more about um, how, this, how these things can have changed our life. Okay, my part's going to be much shorter and sweeter. <laughs> what I'm going to share with you guys today is my excuse not to adopt. And then my first lesson as a foster mom. So I met Johnny when, in 1993 when we were about 18 years old. And I learned two things pretty quickly about him. One was that he wanted to have a daughter named after him. And two was that he wanted to adopt. And so a few years later, we had our first baby girl, and she's named after her daddy. And then um, we had another one. Well, we had a boy, and then we had a girl. And by 2001, I think we were both about 26. We had three kids, and I was tired. <laughs> we were already in the Army, and we were moving around, and I was pretty sure I didn't want to have any more kids, <laughs> not biologically, um, not by adopting, and so I made up my excuse why I didn't think we should adopt. According to me, I could never love someone's kids, someone else's kids, the way I love my own, and so that just wouldn't be fair to them. And I stuck with that excuse for a long time. And I'm pretty sure along the way I said something like, if God wants me to adopt, he's going to have to change my heart. Now I've learned, and you guys can learn from my experience, you never say never. And if you're going to challenge God to change your heart, he's probably going to do something you don't expect. So, um, because this is a short version of a pretty long story, I'm going to fast forward to 2011. And that's the year I surrendered my plan not to adopt, for God's heart to adopt. Now, this was when Johnny was deployed to Iraq the last time, and um, we started discussing, you know, what we were afraid of and what we were worried about and what we wanted, and I started re researching different ways that you can adopt because there's a lot of ways to do it, and when I came across the Foster to Adopt program, um, we knew that was the way. And so he got home from Iraq. We set our big kids down to make sure they were willing to go along with this, um, with us. And uh, started asking friends to pray. And seven months later, we were officially a licensed foster family. So here's a, a little disclaimer. That was a really fast version. There's a whole process involved. And it's not all easy. It's a costly decision. And for some people, adoption is financially costly. And I'm sure worth it. But no matter what way uh, you do it, it's costly emotionally. And I'm emotional, sorry. <laughs> and it, 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 it takes time, your time. So, but I will say that um, every battle we've fought, every hurdle we've crossed, every sacrifice we've made has been more than worth the cost. And it's only drawn us closer to Jesus. So our lives officially changed on August 30th, 2012. And that is the day that we got our first placement call. 
And in foster care, you're, when you're a foster family, you have a social worker. And they're assigned to you, and they know you've, they've been in your home. They know what you're looking for, what you know about, how you are. And so this social worker will call you. They'll tell you, I have a boy or a girl. They'll tell you their name, how old they are, and anything else they know, which is usually very little, like if there's medical issues or behavioral problems. And then they give you the opportunity to say, yes, bring them, or no, it's we're going on vacation tomorrow, we can't take them, or that sounds like more than I can handle. So I said yes. And I really can't put into words how completely excited and scared to death <laughs> that I was, that this was really finally happening. So a few hours later, another social worker delivered a sweet five-month-old baby boy to our house. He'd been labeled failure to thrive, and he'd been taken out of his home that day. I'm usually... Sometimes they're abandoned, like Johnny's story, and sometimes the government has gone in and taken the kids out for abuse or neglect or just unsafe reasons, and so that is what had happened. And it came with a diaper bag and a half a can of formula and some medicine. She just brought him in, and she told us a few things, and she left. So there I was, sitting uh, with my three kids. He was on his way home from work. <laughs> I'm holding a five-month-old that I don't know. And that's when it happened. That's when I fell in love. It didn't take any time at all for me to know that my excuse was a lie from the devil. And I watched in amazement as every single member of our family fell in love with that little boy. And every child that we got after that. We loved that baby deeply and it happened fast. My kids would fight over who got to hold him and whose turn it was to give him his bottle. And I would have to get on the girls every day to stop kissing the baby's head while he was sleeping because <laughs> I need him to take a nap. Um, we just, we delighted in him. Um, we just wanted to be with him, and we wanted him to be with us. And it didn't, it didn't matter to me at that point where he had come from. My first instinct was, you got to wash him, wash him, get him clean, put some fresh clothes on him, cuddle him up, and I just wanted him to know that I loved him, and that he was special, and that he was wanted. And that was my mama's heart, just to make sure he had food to eat, you know, make sure he was safe. Um, and I can honestly say I wanted to keep him forever. And that was the worst part at that point, knowing that I probably wouldn't get to. He was precious to us. And the Lord was right in the middle of it. So while I was preparing what I was going to say, I found my journal from, that was just last year. And um, so I'm just going to share you something I wrote um, we only had him for two weeks during that two weeks that we had him. And all the cooing and ooing and awing over Skylar, I feel the Lord saying to me, this is how I love you, Gwen. I simply delight in you. I sing over you. I love you deeply. 
I just want to be with you. I want to hold you. I want to watch you grow. I want to celebrate with you. I've rescued you because I delight in you. And you're safe with me. I love you, so rest and know that I'm going to take care of you. He rescues us because he delights in us. And that comes from Psalm 18, 19. So let that sink in. The God of this universe rescues us because he delights in us. Isn't that the gospel boiled down to its simplest form? And now, through the very thing that I said I could never do, um, fostering, and we're, we ha- he hasn't said it, but we're in the midst of trying to adopt, um, God is allowing me, the one that he delights in, and the one that he's rescued, to be his hands and feet to the other ones that he delights in and is rescuing. So I already told you that parts of this journey have been hard, and I'm sure there's still more to come. But I can also tell you that God has never let me be part of something more special. It's an honor to be a foster mom, and I pray that I do someday get to experience adopting some children. And I stand here changed. I'll forever treasure each child we get to have in our house. And I'm thankful that God proved me wrong. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Gwen. I should probably just close in prayer. <laughs> that's, hard to, that's hard to follow up. But... As as we were preparing and we and we prepared separately, we didn't prepare together. But, uh, you know, her her story, our story is what I feel is an example of when Jesus told his disciples when they thought someone had had brought him bread there in John chapter four. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work because uh, it did. It changed our lives when we start getting in line with just one simple thing that God does. It really uh, enriched our whole family and nourished our spirits. So let's revisit Jamal, the, the, the kid from Ohio. So after bouncing around for these, these homes for about three and a half years, uh, when Jamal was about five years old, he talked to the, the man that at the time he understood to be his father and said, hey, um, I want to go live with grandma and grandpa forever. That's what he called his foster parents. Uh, he didn't really, his life wasn't bad, but he just didn't feel like he belonged. So he wanted to, to go somewhere that he belonged. So uh, he asked to go there. And by surprise, they said, okay, all right, if that's where you want to go, then then that's where you can go. So the, the two families had had relationships, like personal relationships before, got dropped off and things like that, different than kind of what me and Gwen were going through as foster parents. So they said, okay, packed up stuff and, and took him there. Uh, but that's only, that's only part of the story because the best was, was yet to come. Two amazing things happened right away when, when he got taken from Springfield, Ohio, to Xenia, Ohio. 
the first thing that happened was he was allowed to call grandma and grandpa mom and dad. So he's finally able to call them mom and dad because up to that point, he's been specifically told, you know, these people aren't your mom and dad, so don't refer to them that way. And then the second thing that happened was Jamal's new mom asked, is it okay if we change your name? You know, is it, we want to we change your name. We're going to get a new birth certificate and all this stuff. We want to know if that's okay. So his first name they changed to be the name of the man that he had grown up with as his father uh, for that short time to kind of be a link to the past. But then his middle name, she was like, we want to make your middle name Earl because that's your dad, my, you know, his now dad's middle name. So that day, Jamal Ilias Burden became John Earl Scott. I was given uh, my dad's middle name, which, you know, if you think that that can't affect a, a kid at five years old, it really can. Because I looked at my father as the, the strongest, kindest, smartest person I'd ever seen. And now I was going to get to be his namesake. Um, and, that, and that meant so much to me. It's similar to what God does. Uh, you know, and I didn't know it at the time, but Abram became Abraham. Jacob became Israel. Saul became Paul. God changed their names because he had a new direction for their lives. And even at five years old, I could feel this new direction in my life. And words can't really explain it, uh, what went on that day. But, you know, if it was a, if it was a Hollywood movie, it would have been like all the slow motion and the stupid music and all that stuff, you know. Or if it was a Disney film, birds and squirrels would have came out and started singing and, and flying around with stuff. Or if it's one of those new movies like, uh, what, Teen Beach Movie or High School Musical, all of a sudden like 11 more five-year-olds would have came out with well-choreographed moves and knowing all the words to some song. Uh, and even at five years old. Seriously, that, that's how I felt. That's how I felt. Um, so it was it was really, really amazing. And, uh, you know, my father, he passed away when I was 13 years old. But even here today at 38, I'm 38, right? At 38 years old, he's still uh, like the top role model in my life. Um, so Disney movies and, and well choreographed dancing aside, so what are, what are we, why are we talking about this? What, what should we do? And the answer is simple, that we should do what we see our father doing. Just like Jesus said, I can only do what I see my father doing. If you look in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 18 and 19, God says this. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner giving him food and clothing. And then here's the command. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. And in another place in Psalms, God declares himself father of the fatherless and the protector of widows. So as God's children, we are supposed to be about God's business. And as Jeff already read in James chapter 1, verse 27, it says religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction 
and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So we've received that adoption if Christ is our Lord and Savior, or we need to be adopted if he's not. But for for those who have received it, we've been given a gift. And in Matthew, Jesus says to his disciples, after he empowers them to go out and, and minister to the people to cast out demons, he said, freely you have received, freely give. So if we had that gift of Jesus Christ, we have something to offer and we're supposed to be about giving that. And we're supposed to be about specifically giving that to orphans and widows in, in their time of need. Because we have, again, the privileges, but also the responsibilities of being God's adopted children. So the responsibilities of God's adopted sons and daughters, this list is, is much shorter and a lot more straightforward. Our first one, we know, is the greatest commandment is to love God. We love God with everything. The second one is that we love one another. In John chapter 13, Jesus tells his disciples, a new command that I give to you, that you are to love one another, because by this, people will know that you are my disciples. And then the third one is to love our neighbor. Love God, love one another, and love our neighbor. And we know from the parable of the Good Samaritan that that neighbor is that person who is, who is at a point of need, who we have the ability to help. And again, James specifically tells us that we are to help the orphans and widows in their time of need. So am I suggesting that everybody goes out and and adopts or fosters? No, absolutely not. I don't think that we're all called to that any more than we're all called to foreign missions or that we're all called to be pastors or or any any other thing. Um, that you can think of that that there's certain giftings that everyone has, certain passions that God lays on people's hearts, because no one or two of us can accomplish everything that God has for us to accomplish as his people. However, we can minister to those that are fatherless, the actual fatherless, the spiritually fatherless. There's there's plenty of opportunities. So some possible ways to get involved Right now, the first one I would say is connect people with their heavenly father by sharing the gospel. Evangelism, whether it's out in public, whether it's at work, whether it's within the family, wherever is sharing the hope, the gift that is within you with someone else that is taking a step towards ending their life of spiritual fatherlessness. Or you can adopt or foster children from here in the United States or abroad. If you're so-called to do that, there, there is a need there. You can support organizations or individuals who are involved in adopting and fostering these different things. You can support them financially. You can mentor children. If, you know, if there's a place, big brothers, big sisters, uh, different things like that, people in the neighborhood you can, you can mentor these children or come alongside maybe some, some families who are, are in trouble, you know, whether it's a single father, single mother, who may be considering um, turning their own kids into orphans. And then finally, you can pray for God to give you a heart to get involved and the courage to do it. And that's, that's probably where everything starts is just praying, how, how can I be involved? God, what would you have me do? Because this command is very, 
explicit. This is one that is, uh, you know, it doesn't take a lot of, of understanding, knowledge of the original Greek or different things like that to, to realize that what pleases God is to care for orphans and widows. And there's more than just that one verse in the Bible where God talks about it. He declares himself the father of the fatherless. So we, we all are either adopted or we need to be adopted. And once we are, then we have that, that great commission command to go and make disciples. That's to, to have other people come in contact with, with their spiritual father. And some of us may get involved with bringing kids into our homes through either adoption or foster care or something else like that. And like Gwen was saying, it's going to cost you something. It's, it's, not, it's not free, fin- whether it's financial or more importantly and probably more costly is the emotional toll, the emotional toll of, of waiting for the time, of being told, you know, this kid is, is going to stay in your home probably for a long time and have somebody call 14 days later and say, we're coming to get him in a couple of hours. You know, it's very, very costly, but it's, but it's worth it. Um, and again, like I said, me and Gwen, we prepared separately, but we came to a very similar conclusion. We, had, we got to foster three boys in our time there in North Carolina, and each one of them came to us in different circumstances, different ages. Skyler was five months Loyalty was three months, and uh, JT was two years old. But uh, one thing was the same for all of them. You know, Gwen, she talked about cleaning them up, because it would always come at that night. It's time to go to bed for that very first time. And she would take them and give them a bath, and then, uh, then the fighting would start. Everybody wanted to kiss them, and everybody's got to kiss them one more time. And, oh, just one more time. Oh, oh he looked at me. Let me kiss him one more time. Um, so, you know had all that going on, but eventually Gwen and I would wind up in the room that we had prepared at the side of the crib, and uh, we, we kissed each boy and told him, I love you. I love you. And meant it from, from deep, deep inside. And that's when I knew what love at first sight really, really means. And I can tell you, I've only experienced that kind of love instantly. Just from the moment you lay eyes on someone, three other times. And that was the birth of Johnny and Malik and Kara. It's amazing that I I didn't even expect that. I didn't even expect it to be like that. So when I was preparing, again, I came across this verse. God impressed this on my heart. From Matthew chapter 7. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. And I thought about that. Because if I can, me, a man, finite, sinful, selfish, if I can in an instant fall in love with a little boy that I've never seen. How much more does my father in heaven love me, love each one of us? It's, it's again, it's just incredible. And these boys, they cost us 
time. Our whole lives changed. They cost us our talent. It took everything within us, uh, cost us treasure. But in return, they gave us life and they transformed our family. And it's the same question that Gwen said. Is this not the gospel? Is this not the gospel? So if you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you are an adopted child of God. And he looks at you that same way, that love at first sight. And I would just ask for you to let that just that thought, that reality to just bombard you, to just totally wash over you. To like like a warm hug from a father, but also just, you know, just let it crush you like a ton of bricks and just completely break everything that that you think. Let it completely break your soul and then allow God to renew your spirit and guide your life with his heart for those in need. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for allowing Gwen and I to share this morning. All I ask is this, Lord, that for each one of us, that you are our father, just continue to bring that reality front and center in our lives, Father, and show us what you would have us to do and give us the courage to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's thank John Force and Gwen for their message today. I want us to respond in a special way today. Um, there's a prayer that churches and organizations all over the world are praying together to um, sort of seal in our hearts and make a confession that we haven't always gotten this thing right. We haven't always paid attention to those who are the least of these that are immediately around us. And this prayer will bring us back to that point. So let's uh, pray these words together. On this Orphan Sunday, pray with me. We join with your people across our country and beyond to pray for orphans. We know that love for these precious children begins not with us, but with you. You pursued us when we were wayward and alone. You adopted us as your children. We invite us, you invite us to address you as daddy and to live as your sons and daughters. Truly, we love because you first loved us. Your people to passion and vision and action on behalf of children that have no family. You tell us also that you are near to the downtrodden and destitute. Your heart aches for children that face the world alone. You champion the cause of those who have no one else to take their side. And you call us to do the same. So we pray that you would rouse us to share your heart. We ask that you would stir your people to passion and vision and action on behalf of children that have no family. We lift up to you the millions of children in the world who have lost their parents to disease, to war, to addiction, to poverty, to abandonment. As you promised to do, place the lonely in families. Be their defender, their provider, their hope and peace. Help us to do the same. We pray also for the 420,000 children in our foster system in America. So often, they're bounced from home to home, knowing little love, consistency, or true nurture. Please be their love, their consistency, their nurture. Help us to do the same. We confess that we have often lived with little regard for these precious lives. Please forgive us. 
lead us to take up their cause, not in guilt or obligation, but as a joyful response to your great love for us. As we do, we pray that you would use our humble response to transform, to transform the lives of countless orphans, both physically and spiritually, to transform us as we encounter you in them, to transform your church as we lift our eyes beyond our own comfort and self-focused religion to live out the painful beauty of the gospel. And finally, to transform a watching world as it catches glimpses of your love made visible through the actions of your people. We commit all this to you, the one who is both our father and a father to the fatherless. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen and amen.